Howdy. Howdy. How you guys doing? Three people are doing good. Um, congratulations on that. My, uh, my name's Timothy Atik. I, uh, I work with, I'm a student ministry pastor in Austin, Texas, the mission field of Austin. I am a proud member of the Fine Texas Aggie class of 2003. Really? Is there anyone from 03 in here? I was just hoping there would be one guy and we would have this cool connection. He'd buy me dinner tonight and all that stuff. That's not happening though. All right, I'm old. Um, but yeah, I work with high school students primarily, but it's a privilege to get to come out of Austin back to College Station and be here at Grace. This place was instrumental in my life and so it's just fun to get to be here with you all. I was uh, I was thinking this week, what what is life like as a college student? More specifically, what is it like for a college student that is seeking to follow Jesus? And so uh, as I was thinking about that, I decided I wanted to bring along from Austin two friends of mine just to kind of illustrate what I believe life to be like as a college student seeking to follow Jesus. Let me bring up two friends of mine. This is Jordan McCambridge and his dog, Boone McCambridge. Come on up here, Boone. What's up, dude? This is um, this is Jordan McCambridge. Jordan is a good friend of mine. Jordan actually went to the University of Texas. We, I don't bring that up much just because he's huge and he could squash all of our heads like melons in between his pecs, and so that would just get <laughs> it just get really weird. Um, but uh, so we don't talk about that much. But he is he went to UT, and then this is Boone. Boone is a um, golden retriever. So, is, right. He's a burnt orange retriever. That's, that's, that's the way it goes in Austin. <laughs> he was asking me, we talked this morning, he had no clue what was going on when people were doing this I towards him. I said, TA, I got, I got the hisses and then I got something like this. I'm- I told him that's the Christian flick, flick off and that was just weird. <laughs> it just got weird. Um, but anyway, um, Jordan, tell us a little about Boone. How old is Boone? Boone's uh, almost three. Uh, we got him when he was about um, six weeks old. So, I'm just fascinated right now because I have I have a dog. I don't know if anyone here has a dog, but if my dog was here, she'd be in about the third aisle, like in between your legs right now, and it'd just be it'd be embarrassing. Um, but uh, what's Boone's favorite thing in the world? Well, first it's me, uh, but outside of that, it's it's uh, this thing right here. Little tennis ball. You love yourself a tennis ball, huh? Move it around. Show him how he just locks in. <laughs> that is incredible. Oh, good boy. Uh, boom. We're not going where yet. Okay, um, Jordan. We've we've done this before, but I'm I'm hoping we can do it again for uh, these people here. But um, I'm wondering if again, maybe you can take Boone to the back of the auditorium and have him sit. And stay, and if everyone in here is quiet, do you think you could make your way back up to the stage and he just stays put, and then when you tell him to come, you think he'll come? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Come on. I love the sideways run of dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Stay. Come here. Good boy. Come on. You can come up on stage. Sit. Good boy. Awesome. Oh, good. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about uh, Boone and Jordan's relationship, and I was just thinking that I think that this is this is what our relationship with Jesus should be like. Okay, where we 
we can, we're able to see Jesus for who he is. We have a clear view of him and, and he's the one with all the tennis balls. Jesus is the one who's able, that just sounds weird, um, but he, he really is. He's the one who can give us what we truly need. He's the one who can give us joy. He's the one who can satisfy our deepest longings. He is the one who can truly give us life. And so what I think our relationship with Jesus should be like is that we get a clear view of him. We can see him clearly and then we seek to follow him. But uh, let's try this. Uh, um, and Jordan, we've tried this before, but what if you take Boone back and have him sit again? And it, I want to enlist the help of the people sitting on the aisles here. And honestly, let's do this. Everyone in here, what, when Jordan has him sit, what I want you to start doing is trying to distract Boone. So everyone in here, start calling his name, saying, Boone, come, yell his name. You just can't touch him. Don't grab him. Give him a noogie or anything like that. But let's try that, all right? Yeah. What do you think? Do you think he'll still come to you? I think so, yeah. All right, I want to see this. All right, let's do it. Take him back a little further, Jordan. Let's take him just so everyone on the aisle gets to participate and it's all fun. No one feels left out, anything like that. Stay. Stay. All right, everyone, go for it. Good boy. Okay. Let's hear it for Boone. And just for, just for grins, Jordan, show them how you guys play baseball. Let me just, uh, this is my favorite thing in the world. It's incredible. All right, thanks, guys. Um, honestly, I think that that's kind of a more realistic picture of what, what our lives are like, especially for you guys as college students, is that Jesus truly is the one with all the tennis balls. He's the one who can truly satisfy you, give you life, give you joy. But as you walk through life, especially in college, but honestly, in all life, uh, as Paul is going to say in Ephesians 6, we'll see it today. He's saying that there truly is an enemy that is fighting against us. And he is seeking, uh, I hate to break it to you, but everyone in here, you guys were Satan in the illustration. So uh, th- welcome to church. Jesus loves you. But, um, <laughs> but there are things along the way that are constantly seeking to distract us and cause us to take detours away from Jesus. Think about it. As you go through college and you're walking through life, there are things that kind of call out to you and say, hey guys, why don't you come over here? Why don't you step aside from Jesus? Um, because here's the deal. If you keep pursuing Jesus, he will, he will make you wait to have sex. But if you come over here right now, you can have instant gratification. Okay, guys, you can look at porn now. You can put your hands all over a girl's body and you can have instant gratification now. But if you do things Jesus' way, he's holding out on you. He's gonna make you wait, so come over here. Or girls, there'll be something that calls out to you and says, you know what, if you do things Jesus' way, he's gonna make you focus more on your heart than on your external appearance. So come over here. Let me tell you what people really think about you. Let me tell you what people really value and think is important. 
You know what? You are naturally beautiful. And so you know what? You're really going to have to work for it. If you want guys to pay attention to you, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to need to literally put out to get love. Or what about this one? There's, there's going to be something for all of us that says, hey, you know what? Come over here because let's be honest, those people at church, those people who speak every Sunday, um, I, I think that they live in this fantasy world of what it looks like to be a Christian, especially in college. Because they want you to be some type of Jesus freak now, but don't they realize that college is supposed to be the best four, five, six, seven years of your life? And you know what? You have the rest of your life to settle down. But if you do things Jesus' way, you are going to have to settle down to God. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to basically give up real life and settle for boredom. So why don't, why don't you take a de- detour over here? Why don't you come over here? And Paul in the book of Ephesians, he's just basically, he's going to say, hey, you know what? You're at war with an enemy that you cannot even see. And so the question that you college students have to answer is, do you believe that Jesus is the one with all the tennis balls? I mean, do you really believe that he is where true joy, true life, true satisfaction is found? Because if you do truly believe that, then Paul is going to urge you, you better fight for your life. When Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, he's in prison. And so he is surrounded by Roman soldiers. And so as he is writing, he's writing some friends in Ephesus. And he's kind of like, hey, you know what? Just as these soldiers get suited up in this armor to fight a physical battle. Well, you know what? We're not in a physical battle. We're in a spiritual battle. So in the same way they have to put on armor, you need to put on spiritual armor in order to fight this war well. All right. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter six. And and all Paul is going to do is he's just basically, he's going to walk us through spiritual armor to fight a spiritual war with an enemy that you and I cannot see. And the order that he's going to rattle off this spiritual armor is the same order that a Roman soldier would put on physical armor for a physical battle. So here's what he says. Look in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So here's what you need to know. Paul talked about paranormal activity long before 2009, okay? He was the one um, to, to talk about this subject first, and he basically just said what we've already said. He, he basically just said, we're, we're in a war with an enemy that we can't see, so you better get suited up. You better put on spiritual armor. And so now he starts walking through what spiritual armor is. And college students, I was just Uh, when I first read this passage, I was kind of like, 
you know what, this sounds good and real spiritual, but I don't really, I don't know that I'm getting the, the, the analogy. Like my, my brain just isn't comprehending like what all this means. But once I studied it, I was like, man, this is so applicable uh, for, especially for college students, but honestly for, for everyone in life. So here, here we go. He says in verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, you don't say that to your friends very much. Hey, dude, don't forget, gird your loins. You know, that's just not something that we throw out there much. Uh, I would encourage you to throw it out there. But um, he says, hey, gird your loins with truth. And if you're reading from the NIV, he's saying you put on a belt of truth, okay? Um, Roman soldiers, the first thing that they would put on was a belt because the belt is what would hold all the armor together. Everything underneath and the armor was held together by the belt. And so what Paul is saying is that um, you, truth must be the foundation for your life. You put on the belt of truth, truth must be your foundation. So college students, what you have to determine is what is truth and where do you find it? Let me ask you this just to think about um, what, who or what is your source of truth for life? Who's your source of truth for how to dress? Who is your source for truth? Who has your ear when it comes to dating? Who is your source for truth when it comes to how you should act on the weekends? Who is your source for truth when it comes to really realizing what does true success look like in this world? Is it your professors? Is it your parents? Is it your fraternity or sorority? Is it the, is it the friends that you run through life with? Is it Wikipedia? Is it, is it movies? Is it TV? What is your source of truth? Because here's what I want you to think about. College students, the way you live your life and the decisions that you make declare to the world where you find truth. Does that make sense? The decisions that you make and the way you live your life, whether you realize it or not, you are testifying to people around you what you believe to be true. So I want you just to think about where where are you getting life from? I'm sorry, where, what is your source for truth? When I was in college, I, um, I started dating this girl and uh, it just wasn't the right relationship for me to be in for many reasons. But uh, one day this girl told me, hey, and this was just really interesting. Um, she said, hey, you know what? Um, T.A., that's what a lot of people call me. T.A., you could be a male model uh, if it wasn't for your legs. And I was like, thank you. I, th- I think I... I think you just compliment. No, actually you just criticize me. Some of you are like, let's see the legs. Um, but, uh, not going to show them to you right now, but they're just weird. Um, but I was, I was thinking about that and the fact that this girl, um, who I was dating, she just, she didn't like how I looked all together. And, and here's why. Um, when I entered college, I rocked a 20 year old comb over. Okay. My hair, um, uh, for 20 years of my life, I had a brush and a hair dryer, and man, I just made it work. And I would just make this 
thing, this comb over just sweet. And if it got too long, it would get this little wave in it, but it was dirty. I mean, this thing was nasty. Okay. But I had this comb over, um, and then I wore these hiking boots wherever I went. And then I had these tapered jeans that were like, I was just thinking about if you were looking for jeans in a jean store, they would be under the label, not cool jeans. Okay. And so that's kind of what I wore. And she looked at me and she was just like, I don't like the way you look. And so I was like, okay, what do you, and so she took me and basically revolutionized me and made me into a completely different person. She took me to guys, I hate to admit it, a salon and got me a haircut. She got me new jeans, new shoes, but I was just thinking about it. Like she was my source for truth. She was in that moment, man, I would have done anything if she was like, Let's see a mohawk. I'd be like, like, sure, why not? But she was my source for truth. She was the one that I was listening to for what I needed to look like to present myself to this world. When I was here, I was in a Greek fraternity and I absolutely loved it because I got to live in this frat house with people I wouldn't normally live with. And their whole goal in life was basically to get drunk and hook up. And I was just like, man, that... It's not cool, but man, it's cool that we get to hang out um, and not do those things, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so the interesting thing was, was that these, these uh, freshmen who were walking with Jesus would, would pledge this uh, fraternity. And the interesting thing was just over time, these freshmen would give their ears to the fraternity and they would basically begin to look to the fraternity to, to determine what was true. And over time in high school, they followed Jesus. And over time, man, they just, they just started taking detour after detour to where they found themselves living a life that they never planned to live when they got into college. But the fraternity, this group of friends became their source for truth, how to date, how to act on the weekends, how to function. I just wonder, is that you in here? Is your source for truth your significant other? Is it your fraternity or sorority? Is it your group of friends? If so, you might need to check that. One other example is I'm going to, I'm going to mention the name of a TV show right now, which will automatically make all the men in here judge me. And I'm okay with that. But, um, and some of you guys are young enough that you might be like, I don't even know that show, but there was a show out when I was in high school and it was called Dawson's Creek. Do you guys remember that? (laughs) You do remember that. Okay. Um, well, here's the deal. Uh, when I was in high school, myself and two other guys, we would get together and have a Dawson's Creek watching party, okay? And we would watch Joey and or Pacey and Dawson and all these people on this show. And the deal was, was that we would watch this show and, and we were just these hormonal high school guys and it would get us so amped to watch these relationships kind of blossom on this cheesy show. And then we would turn off the TV and we would be so charged hormonally. We were just like, ah, we need a girlfriend like now. And so we'd sit there and be like, who do you like? Who do you like? She probably won't ever even talk to you, dude. Okay. You need to rethink that. Um, But I just wonder like, is that you right now? Does TV sometimes become your source for truth, you'd never admit it. You don't even realize you're doing it. But TV sometimes can become our source for truth. 
Like, you'd never admit that you watch shows like Jersey Shore or Gossip Girl, but think about what these shows say is true. Think about what these shows will say is true of women. What they'll say is, hey, you know what? Here's what it looks like to be a real woman. You know what? You dress in a way that will get the guy's attention. You show as much skin as you can. You make your clothes look like they're spray painted on so that guys will notice you. You know what else, women? You need, to, you need to pursue the guy. You need to throw yourself out there. You need to be aggressive with the man. You know what else it says? Hey, girls, you know what? It's, it's okay to have these sexual encounters because it's only physical. Emotions aren't involved. It's possible to just hook up and get out of there. And that's all it is. You know what else? It's true, ladies. It's okay to hate other girls. So you get your little squad over here and you just blast the girl over there because that's what's true. But you know what else it says about guys? It says, guys, it is a cool thing to be a tool. You know what? It's cool to just kind of play a bunch of girls at the same time. And it's cool. One of the best things you can do is just to hook up with all these different girls. That's what makes you a true man. And you wait for the girls to come to you. You don't pursue them. You wait for them to come to you. And I just wonder if over time, sometimes our thinking can become skewed because we look to TV to be our source for truth. What is your source for truth? It's either going to be the word of God or it's going to be society in the world. Because Jesus says in John 14, Verse six, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say I am a truth. He doesn't say I'm one of the truths. He's saying I am it. And so you either believe that God has spoken to you. And so you read this word and you take it as truth and you do what it says. Or you say, you know what, God, thank you for these suggestions. I'll get back to you if I'm interested. Okay. Let's move on. So he says the weird statement, gird your loins. And then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So here's the deal. Roman soldiers would put on this breastplate that was made of either chain mail or leather. And it would basically cover their neck to their thigh. So it would cover all of their their major organs, especially the heart. Okay, and so what Paul is saying, he's saying you need to put on this breastplate that guards your heart with righteousness. Okay, here's what you need to know about me. I love knowing what big words mean. Like I love knowing that the word defenestration means to kill someone by throwing them out a window. You know, it's just kind of cool to know that there is a word out there for throwing someone out a window and taking their life. I don't know. Use it if you desire. Um... There's a spiritual word that I love knowing the meaning to. It's a big word. You might have heard it before, but it's the word justification. What does the word justification mean? Yeah, it's to be declared right standing. Okay, to be declared righteous. Okay, so it's kind of like this. It's a courtroom term. It'd be like this. Say you were pulled into court And you are accused of every sin you've ever committed. And so the judge pulls out this massive dry erase board and he writes down every sin that you have ever, you've ever done. 
So on there, there's, there's lust, there's greed, there's envy, there's anger, there's insecurity. Um, there's all these different things. There's gossip, um, disrespecting your parents, you name it, it's on there. And the Bible would say that the wages of sin is what? Death. Okay, so it's as if the judge looks at all the sins you've done and he's about to slam the gavel down and say, I sentence you to death. And right before that happens, the doors open and Jesus steps in and he says, hey, you know what? Instead of giving him the death penalty, I'm going to step in and take it. And so Jesus steps in the way and he serves our death penalty for us. And the judge looks at us and he says, you and me are a complete peace. You have been declared right standing before me, the judge. We are at complete peace. I have nothing against you now. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has made us at complete peace. Us imperfect people here on earth. He has made us at complete peace with a perfect God. That's an amazing truth, right? But let me ask you this. Are there times in your life, college students, where you don't feel at peace with a perfect God? Are there ever times in your life, especially after you screw up, where you just don't feel at peace with a perfect God? Let me put it a different way. Have you ever felt at peace with a perfect God? Have you ever had a time in your life where you have felt like you and God are at complete peace? Because here's the way that college works. College is an amazing thing because, because of the idea of independence. Independence can be this beautiful thing where you come to college and your faith becomes your own. It's no longer your parents' faith. It becomes your faith. You're independent. You can come to college and you can realize all the passions that God has given you. And then you can go and you can flesh out those passions. Why? Because you are independent. But here's what I know for a fact. Every single one of us, at at some point, honestly, probably before the end of today, but I will just say sometime during your college career, your independence will short circuit and you will do things that are extremely offensive to a perfect, holy God. And there's this enemy that wants to come alongside you and begin to whisper lies to you that just says, man, did you see what you just did? All that peace between you and God, it's no longer. Do you know how frustrated God is with you? Yeah, you know that feeling that you have right now that you are so unworthy to even talk to God? Rightfully so. Because of what you just did. So you know what? Hey, you know what? That is a good idea. You are so unworthy to talk to him. So don't. Don't talk to him. Withdraw from him. Honestly, the honest truth is you'll probably screw up like that again. So instead of running back to him and just doing this whole thing over where you let him down again and let him down again and let him down again, why don't you just make it through your college career doing your own thing and then after college there won't be all these temptations and all that and then you can get right with God. Have you ever felt that before? Where you just feel so unworthy to go before a perfect God, so you just don't. You feel like you have to get all your junk together. And here's the honest truth. Paul is saying you have to put on the breastplate of righteousness because the honest truth is that God has already declared that you are right standing with him. You are at perfect peace. And it's not because of anything you did. It's because of what's been done for you by Jesus Christ. 
There's even more good news in the Bible in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says that when we sin, Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. You know what an advocate is? An advocate is someone who is called along to the side of another to offer help. So what 1 John is saying is that Jesus is kind of our divine defense attorney. He comes and he stands before the Father constantly, and he gives a defense to the Father on our behalf. But he doesn't sit there and try and defend us and say, no, 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 they're innocent, they're innocent, they're innocent. No, he says, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. But look at the death, burial, and resurrection. Their price, their penalty has been paid in full. And you are at complete peace. You want a reason why you should run to Jesus instead of run away from him when you screw up? It's because he's standing before the Father advocating for you. And you know what? You should confess your sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's not a verse for salvation. That's a verse for fellowship. Confession is what we do not to, not to once again have a relationship with God. It's to improve our relationship with God. Confession doesn't determine the existence of a relationship. It determines the quality of it. But you need to know that you have been declared right standing before a perfect God. Does that make sense? You have to stand on this truth that we've been declared righteous. It goes on and it says this. It says in verse 4, 15, it says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So here's the deal. What soldiers would do, soldiers would have these shoes that had these long spikes on them. And these spikes would allow soldiers to have good traction when they're in hand-to-hand combat. It's like this. When I was in high school, I ran cross country and it was just kind of humiliating because you'd run 3.1 miles. And so no one looks good after you've sprinted for that long and you're in these real short shorts and it just gets really weird. But um, I would run cross country and I would wear these really long spikes. And here's why. When when I was at the state cross country meet, it had been raining. And so the course was just all mud. And as I was running up this hill, the guy in front of me tripped and fell. And so, because I have matrix-like reflexes, I hurdled him and I had to put my hand on the ground. Um, But I didn't put my hand down to help him up. I was like, suck up, peace. And I just kept going. Um, But the, the thing is, is that I would wear these spikes so that it would give me traction in bad weather. And what Paul is saying is that you, the gospel, can give you traction When things in life get slippery, the gospel, the message of the gospel can bring peace. What's the message of the gospel? Here it is. Jesus Christ died for your sins and did what? Rose from the dead. If you leave out the resurrection of Jesus, you you might as well throw Christianity away. The, The resurrection of Jesus is so important. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he was declaring, I have conquered sin. I have conquered sin and death. Satan and all of his little minions, I have destroyed them. I have conquered them. And it's only a matter of time before I do away with them completely. But the battle has been won. 
And so one of the most amazing things about the gospel, the gospel can bring you peace because it reminds you that you are on the winning side. You are on the winning side. And some of y'all just need to hear that there is hope tonight. Because I would imagine some of you guys are getting just beat down by habitual sin in your life, whether it's pornography, whether it's an impure relationship with your significant other, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's anger issues, whether it's lying issues, whether you exaggerate constantly or you tell half-truths to people and something in you just says there is no hope. And the gospel screams there absolutely is hope because Jesus Christ has conquered your sin. He has dealt with it. There absolutely is hope. Now, it might mean that you need to get extreme with your sin. It might mean that you need to get some friends in your life that you just open up with and ask them to hold you accountable and walk through life with you. It might mean even finding a Christ-centered recovery program, but there is hope in Jesus Christ because of the gospel. It brings peace into our life. I kind of look at it like this, like basketball season is basically starting up. And and one of my least favorite things about basketball games is when the last minute of a game takes 15 minutes to play. And the reason that it takes so long is that usually there's a team that's losing and they know that they're going to lose, but they just want to foul the other team as much as possible just to make the game miserable, honestly, for me to watch. And so here's the deal. This is exactly what Satan is like. He's, he knows that it's only a matter of time before the game is over, but he is already lost. But he's going to try and foul you and me as much as he can while there's still time left in the game. Not so that he can, he can change the game and win. He already knows he's going to lose. It, it's just to make our lives miserable. And so maybe some of you guys need to to hear that there is hope tonight. That Jesus Christ, the gospel is that he died for your sins, but not only that, he rose from the dead. He's conquered your sin. And you know what Ephesians chapter one says that the same power that enabled Jesus to rise from the dead lives inside of you. Have you ever thought about that? The same power that allowed Jesus to rise from the dead lives inside of you. So there absolutely is hope in the cross of Jesus. Okay? few more things. Verse 16 says, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What Roman soldiers would do is that they would have this shield that was about four feet by two feet and they would cover it sometimes with leather. And the reason that they would do that is that what enemies would do is that they would take arrows and they would light them on fire and they would shoot them at people. And the reason that they would do that is that the goal was, was that this little small flame would ultimately spread all over a soldier's clothes to where it basically completely destroys them. Doesn't that sound exactly like sin? Do you have anything in your life that's just started out small and now it's kind of gotten to a place where it's out of control? But what soldiers would do sometimes is that they would take the shield and they would soak it in water because it would extinguish the flaming arrows. And so it was recorded that one soldier one time counted that he had 220 arrows in his shield, but he was unharmed. And what Paul is saying is that you need a shield of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is believing that God's promises are 100% true even if you don't see him materializing yet. Does that make sense? Faith is 
believing that God's promises to you are 100% true, even if you don't see him materializing yet. You know what it means? It means, guys, that when you look at pornography or you put your hands all over your girlfriend's body, what you are declaring is, I don't have faith in God's promises to come true for my life. Because what God promises is that he has carved out this thing called marriage for us, where we can enter into this truly intimate uh, relationship that we can't even comprehend and explain, where it's not just a physical thing, but there is emotion, it's emotional and spiritual. And it's this connection where there's no fear of breakup and there's no baggage that it creates. It's just this pure, beautiful thing. But you are saying you don't believe that God will come through for you because it's delicious delayed gratification and you want gratification now. So when you do that, you're saying, I don't have faith that God will come through for me. Or girls, when you look at the image in a mirror or the number on a scale and you determine your worth by it, what you are saying is that I don't believe that God is going to come through for me. His promise that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made, I'm not buying it right now. Or when you get wasted on the weekend, what you are declaring is that, God, I don't believe, I don't have faith that you're going to come through for me. Jesus, you said that you came that I might have life and have it to the full, but I don't buy it. God, I know that you have a perfect, good, pleasing, and perfect plan for my life, but I need a job now because I'm graduating in December. And so I tell you what, I'm going to go and I'm going to sign up for the first job that is offered to me, not whether or not you want me to take it or not. Why? Because you haven't come through for me this far. You know, the other thing we do when life isn't going well or when the stuff kind of hits the fan in our lives, sometimes we will just go out and we'll make stupid decisions just to numb the pain as if to say, you know what, God, you're not coming through for me. I don't have faith that your promises are true for me, but God promises. He never says there won't be any storms in your life. He says when storms come, I will be your refuge and your rock and your shelter. I might not turn the storm off, but I'm going to make it possible for you to experience peace during it. Let me put it this way. I, I need you guys to interact with me right now. The morning didn't help me out at all. So please, six o'clock, come through for me. Right now, someone tell me, what's your favorite place to eat in College Station? Chipotle. Okay, what else? Let me hear from you. You second Chipotle. Okay, very nice. Where else? What? Fuego. Okay, anyone else? La Bodega. Okay, let's go with La Bodega. Okay, what's your favorite thing to get at La Bodega? Grilled fish tacos. You, you think they're delicious? They're just sweet nectar, man. You... Okay, that's enough. Um, um, Okay, let me put it this way. What's your name? Chris. Chris. Okay, what if it was like this? Chris, I were to come to you and I'd say, let's pretend you've never been to La Bodega before. And what if I came to you and I was like, hey, Chris, there's this place called La Bodega. They've got these grilled fish tacos. You can put all that lime stuff you're just talking about. You can do this thing to them and it is it is amazing. Okay, every bite will just make your mouth scream hallelujah okay it's just this incredible thing and what if I tell you hey Chris I'm gonna pick you up in a few hours but you are sitting at your house and you're just starving 
So you say, you know what, I, I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. And so you go into your pantry. I don't know what college students have in their pantry, but you go in there and you find one of those like five gallon bags of popcorn and it's been in there for like a year. So it's, it's like chewy, but you're like, I don't even care. I'm just starving. And you just start going to town on this deal. And then you find some chips, you find some Funyuns and you know, it'll make your breath smell bad, but you're like, I don't care. I'm starving. And so you go to town on those. Then you go to your refrigerator and you're like, I want a Dr. Pepper right now and all you find is diet you're like I don't even care and so you take this thing and you start chugging it and the carbonation is just expanding in your stomach and it's just um you fill yourself up and then I come to your house Chris and I'm like all right dude labadega let's do it and you're like dude I'm already full now knowing how good those grilled fish tacos are at labadega doesn't it seem ridiculous that you just filled yourself up on junk It's the same thing that you and I do in life. Jesus says, hey, you know what? I came that you might have life and have it to the full. But you know what? Hold out just a little bit longer. But there's something in us that just says, no, I need life right now. And so Jesus, if you're not going to come through for me, I'm going to go find it myself. And I'm going to fill myself up on all of this counterfeit life. Because I don't want to wait. Faith is believing that God's promises are 100% true, even if you haven't seen them materialize yet. Paul finishes with, with two other uh, pieces of armor. He says, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The bottom line is, guys, um, people would wear helmets because if you got hit in the head, you were done. I, I don't know if you know that that's just how it works. Okay, you get clocked in the head, you're done. All right, that's just how it goes. And so soldiers would put a helmet on. And uh, in, in, uh, what Paul is saying is you put on the helmet of salvation, Jesus Christ will save your life in two different ways. Number one, when you die, if you believe in him. He will take you to heaven. He will rescue you from eternal separation from him. But right now on earth, Jesus promises to save you in times of temptation. Like there's this great verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I strongly encourage you to memorize this verse. But it says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. What that's saying is that right now when you are tempted, when you encounter different temptations, Jesus is going to step in and give you a way of escape. And it might just be really brief. It might just be something that fires off in your head that just says, this isn't the wisest thing for you to do, but you're going to have a decision whether you are going to commit to that sin or you're going to hit the eject button and take Jesus's way of escape. But he promises to provide it for you. The other thing that Paul talks about, he says, he says that there is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive weapon that Paul talks about. And it's basically saying that God puts his spirit inside of you. And if you know the Bible, if you know the word of God, that in times of temptation or fear or doubt, the spirit of God can remind you of truth so that you don't get dominated by the evil one. Like guys, when you're, when you're tempted to look at pornography, and you know what, I've mentioned that a lot tonight, but the honest truth is that, man, that's a huge struggle in college. 
But when you're tempted, the spirit of God can bring to mind Matthew 5, 28, which says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Or if you're with your significant other and you are so tempted to just kind of get busy, the spirit of God can bring 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 to mind, which says, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? It says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Girls, if you're tempted to look in a, look in a mirror or a scale to determine how worthy you are, to determine your, your self-esteem and your worth, Spirit of God can bring to mind Psalm 139 verse 14, which says, I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Let me just close by saying this. It's going to sound weird, but every single one of us can learn something from a dog today. Because I love what Boone did. He just sat there as you guys were seeking to distract him, and all he did, he just looked at Jesus, uh, Jordan, not Jesus. <laughs> he, just, he just looked at Jordan and just said, man, I don't give a rip about what these people want to talk to me about right now. You are my master. You are the one with all the tennis balls. You are where life is found. So I want to encourage you as college students to take this stuff to heart, to put on the full armor of God because there is an enemy who you can't see and we are at war with, but Jesus Christ is the one with all the tennis balls. He is where true life, true satisfaction, true joy is found. So I want to encourage you, put on the full armor of God so you can stand firm and you can experience true life. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for tonight. Thanks for, thanks for these Aggie friends in here. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It is good. I pray for anyone in here who doesn't have a relationship with you right now. Maybe they heard the good news that you, Jesus Christ, died for our sins and rose from the dead. I pray that tonight they would embrace that truth, that they would talk to you and just ask you to come into their lives and to be their savior from their sin. Lord, I pray for all of us in here. Thank you that you have given us spiritual armor. I pray that we would put it on this week. God, once we walk out those doors, honestly, before we walk out those doors, there's going to be temptation. There's going to be fears. There's going to be doubts. And I pray that this week, We would fix our eyes on you just like Boone fixed his eyes on Jordan and that we would pursue you knowing that you and you alone, God, are where true life's found. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.